Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. I'm not sure which one you're listening to, but we have the fabulous Michelle Dickinson here with us today, who is going to speak to both audiences. Welcome, Michelle. Bobby, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm looking very forward to this conversation. Your credentials are pretty spectacular, and I'm happy to share you with the world. So do you mind kicking us off? Tell us a little about yourself personally, professionally. Yeah, sure. Sure. I love it. I love these opportunities to get to talk to people. And uh, I thank you again. So I am a workplace well-being strategist. Um, I help people recenter themselves. And the reason I do this work is because I have been deeply affected by mental illness. I grew up with a mother who had bipolar disorder. Um, I suffered from depression a few years ago, going through a life event, and I worked in a corporation to build a mental health employee resource group. So I have three lenses on mental health, and that's why my company name is Trifecta Mental Health. Um, So I'm really passionate about this. You know, we've lived through a pandemic, and that's been really hard for people, and so many people are struggling. And so I'm on a mission to elevate um, the conversation about mental health, normalize it, and empower people, ways to preserve their mental health, ways to feel good every day. Um, There are simple strategies, and I really am out to make people aware of what they are, that they can, you know, reclaim some of that balance that they had before the pandemic. So you're saying that you want to get this into places like regular jobs, workplace where we don't talk about such things. We just go in and punch a clock and do the thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, unfortunately, you know, stigma is everywhere, including the workplace. And the stigma is what has people suffer in silence or not acknowledge what they're dealing with and not utilize resources that are available to them. So who, tell me a little about what that would look like if I was a company. um, And I I come from corporate America. So I have this, I can only imagine what it looks like in my head playing out. So I'd love to hear how this looks like. Why would an employer invest in this for their employees? I I think I know some answers, but I want to hear what you have to say. (laughs) I mean, when employees are feeling good, they're performing, right? They're engaged. They are um, working collaboratively as a team. They're healthier. You know, when employees are uh, not feeling well or imbalanced or dealing with things that they're trying to keep a secret, right? Not bringing their authentic self to work, not feeling like they have a psychologically safe environment to, um, to work in, that, that all is going to compromise presenteeism and performance. So we really need to um, do a little bit more. It's not like a lot more because most good employers already offer great benefits, already offer an employee assistance program. But we have a stigma in our society that prevents people from gosh forbid, they're going to reach out and get support. They don't, you know, oh, I don't want to be labeled that like I can't handle it or I'm not strong enough or tough enough. We got to get away from that. So my whole mission is to be the bridge to normalize the conversation so employees get the support that you're already paying for. Thank you for clarifying that. So you're not necessarily the EAP. No. You are trying to get people more engaged with EAP. Yeah. Just how about just getting them engaged with their mental health, right? Teaching people the brain is just another organ 
And we've all lived through a pretty intense pandemic. And the majority of us have experienced some type of decline in our well-being because it's not normal for us to have been quarantined. It's not normal for us to have been removed, you know, things that we loved to do and the magnitude of loss of life in our in our families. That's not normal. So if we could just start to talk about it and get people comfortable with their brain health, then they're going to reach out and, and tap into those support systems that are in place uh, so they can, you know, preserve their health and not further deteriorate. Do you think the pandemic is helping us talk about this more? Yeah, that's a great question. I do. I really do. I feel like, you know, in one sense, we have, you know, celebrities and Olympic athletes and, you know, um, football and, and baseball celebrities talking about um, about mental health. And that's wonderful. I think that's great. Um, and I do think that because of that, there's a lot more articles being written. I'm always reading something in the news about mental health, which is really shining a light on the topic. But at the same time, a lot of us are diminishing how we're doing because we're all sort of experiencing the same pandemic. And therefore, well, if the person next to me is doing okay, I should be okay. But in reality, that comparison is is the biggest um, mistake we can make because we're diminishing how we're really doing and not getting support. That's a great point. The comparison factor. I think I've been guilty of that. I can, I can, yeah, I can see that. Like the culture of no emotions at work. I mean, even yeah. Uncle G says it, no emotions in business unless it's celebration. Not that he doesn't yeah. believe in mental, you know, health, but um, it's, it is the culture and and the good old boys, for example, like a bunch of men in the room are not going to talk about their feelings or any of those kinds of things. Right. Right. Wow. So that's a big, that's a big mission. <laughs> yeah. I like to tell people, you know, Everyone was saying, we're all in the same boat. We're all dealing with this pandemic. But the reality is, you know, as as well as I do, our past traumas and life experiences have events like this pandemic play out very uniquely to all of us. So I like to say we're all in the same ocean, but we're all in very unique boats of our own, right? How you've been able to navigate this pandemic is very different than how I've been able to navigate it. You know, because we have pasts and we have experiences and we have traumas that have it feel very different for each of us. Yeah, you spoke about depression in your history, and I think you used the term during a life event. So this is one of those big life events. And I've I've never thought of myself as ever having depression until last fall. And nothing was going on, right? Like it wasn't in the heat of the moment of all the trauma. There was a lot of trauma the last two years, Um, but it wasn't in the heat of the moment. It was when everything should have been good. And all of a sudden it snuck up on me and it was overwhelming. And I was in denial. I'm, you know, here I am. I got my stuff together. I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, an advocate for this. I know all the solutions Mm -hmm. is this is the game I'm playing in my head. I know, you know, to have positive self-talk. I know to reach out to my counselor. I know X, Y, Z, but it was still very challenging to get out of that. So 
I'm just kind of giving you my landscape. And that's with me being, I feel like I'm pretty educated about it. Not formally, but, but pretty educated. Right. What, what would you tell someone feeling like that way? Like Clues to me were crying yeah. every day, the yeah. hopelessness, the frustration. Um, like, what do you tell someone with those kind of symptoms? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a clinician, so I, I'm, I'm not going to like overstep here, but like, I think that it, when we start to recognize that we don't have the basic joy in our lives that we are used to, that we are not able to engage in those things that we love because we just don't have a zest. And this is just from my own personal experience during my own depression. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to do things I love that were my favorite hobbies. I didn't want to exercise. I didn't want to do any of it. Um, that's when you have to start to really say like, whoa, like life isn't supposed to be like this. Like my joy is, is, is absent and I need to do something. I need to take a different action. Um, but my, I always come at it from the, in terms of preserving mental health. So what I do for myself is what I teach people in my resilience program. And that is, you got to do a self audit on yourself every day. You know, oftentimes we wake up in the morning and our body part that is not doing so well, will scream at us for attention go, Oh man, my ankle still hurts. Or like at my back, Oh, I shouldn't have done that exercise at the gym, but whatever, but our body's screaming for attention. But what we're not doing is checking in on how we're doing emotionally or mentally. We are rushing into our day. And if we're not feeling good, we're just suppressing it or we're, we're just busying ourselves. So I always say the power of the self audit is critical because if you notice that you're not doing good in a particular morning, then you lean into your toolbox of things that you know is going to help you because only you know what's going to help you. It might be go for a run. It might be, hey, I'm going to call my best friend and go and meet her for a cup of coffee just to talk, you know, but you have to know what those tools are that you can go to to feel better before things get worse. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to be present to how you're doing each and every day. I'm smiling because presence is a theme that keeps coming up for me. Um, yeah. And I like that people are talking about it. So that's what the smile is about. You said you have a resilience program. Yeah. So what does that look like? Yeah. So I have a resilience program for employees and then I have a leader program for people leaders. The resilience program for employees is I'm really focusing on the things that people can do implement into their daily practices that can have them feeling good, have them feeling like, um, you know, they're feeling mentally and physically healthy. Uh, little things, things that your mother probably taught you. I just get it all present and up and in your face, like check in on yourself. What, what do you love to do? Are you spending enough time doing that? Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Are you grateful for what is good in your life? Or are you focusing on what's missing? Um, you know, what does your sleep hygiene look like? Are you getting enough sleep? Do you, do you have a routine where you're setting yourself up for good sleep? Because that's going to affect your brain balance. So little things, micro changes that you can apply to start to feel better and, and really stay on top of your well-being. That's really what the resilience program is about. And then resources, because we all need to know where to go if we're struggling or if a loved one's struggling and how to support them. So I load you up with uh, a lot of free resources and resources that are available um, around mental health. Let's pretend I'm out there listening and I work for one of those, um, you know, a company that maybe is more the 
I don't know, two to 10K employee range or 10K to big, big. What do I do as, if you can answer this for me, what, what do I do as a frontline employee? And what do I do if I'm someone in say middle management that wants to bring this to an organization? Can you give them any advice? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's just good business to have healthy employees, right? Like it really is like if an employee is not feeling well, they're not engaged, they're not, they're not performing They're the emotional drag of being unhealthy will compromise your bottom line. So it, it, it's to your best interest to keep your people healthy and happy and content and performing. So I would say, you know, what are you already doing? Do you have an EAP system? Do you have good benefits that include emotional well-being and mental health support? And then are they utilizing it? Because the biggest issue is because their stigma exists in your organization, employees are not leveraging it. They're not reaching out. There's too much shame. There's not enough psychological safety. So if you're looking to really help people get comfortable with accessing care, especially now coming out of the pandemic, when we know the prevalence is so high, um, that's what this program is really about. Let's normalize the narrative around mental health. Let's shift people's relationship and have them realize the brain is just another organ, right? So let's normalize that. And then let's give them, let's empower them with tools and resources and things that they can do to take care of themselves. And then God forbid that they are aware of and have no hesitancy in reaching out and leveraging what you're already providing. I love your passion. It shows through on these topics. Yeah. People are struggling. So the reason why I'm passionate, Bobby, is people are struggling right now. Leaders will say to you, all my people are fine. No, your people are struggling and they're not talking to you about it. They're trying to figure it out on their own. And wouldn't it be amazing if you could help them help themselves? Imagine the loyalty. Imagine the contentment and the, and the trust. Imagine that. Imagine what's possible if you just did a little bit more. And I'm not like, it's not a lot. <laughs> right. You used the term psychological safety. I wrote that down because that really has a nice ring to it. Yeah. And I think it encompasses what you're trying to do. And the other thing I picked up on, you keep talking about the brain as an organ. And through my research and reading, I follow Dr. Amen, and I'm not sure if, if you are familiar with his work, but he's amazing. And he's a psychiatrist. And he talks about the brain. He wants everybody to be a brain warrior. So he talks about the right foods and um, does scans of the brain, right? To help with these disorders that maybe just get prescribed drugs or get assumed it's ADHD and da, 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 da. So I love that you keep reminding us about the brain because he's the only person I've ever heard really talk about mental illness with the brain piece, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Like we think yeah. of it as, as depression, but I don't know that we all connect the dots that it's a brain. Yeah. It, it comes in the brain. Yeah. Um, so why are you so passionate about that? Like the brain piece and is there anything that you can you know, expand I, on with that? Yeah. I lived a lot of my youth and adult, my adolescent and young adult life you know, concealing the secret of shame that my mother was bipolar. Um, And I know she did too. 
like she, she stayed away from people. I stayed away from talking about it. There was so much embarrassment around it. Um, and I know that that compromised her care, her compromised her connection to people. So I'm really like, if we have a healthy relationship to the brain and we recognize that imbalances happen, just like we have imbalances with our organs or body parts, other body parts, then, you know, we'll talk about it and strategize with people we love. You know, if you have, God forbid, you have like heart disease or you have a kidney issue, you're going to pick up the phone and be like, okay, so what did aunt Susie do for hers? Because I need to know you like, you'd be talking about it. It wouldn't be a big secret. It wouldn't be like on the down low. Oh, you know, so-and-so has got, you know, she's got depression. You know, it's just, there's like this shame that's riddled with these diagnoses. So I think the reason why I'm passionate is like, if we talk about it more, it becomes less of a thing. If it, if it becomes less of a thing, then we're going to, then we're going to openly find solutions and we're not going to prevent people from connection because, you know, that connection can actually help heal us. I have a couple thoughts going through my head and I'm debating whether or not to, um, <laughs> bring you also, before, before you go there though, you asked me about psychological safety and psychological safety is so important. Um, the reason why I really care about that is, you know, you want an employee to be able and be comfortable reaching out uh, to a leader to say, Hey, I think I need to just like take a day for myself. Cause I'm a little bit like strung out. I have a lot going on at home. You, you want them to do that right? You want them to, uh, to be, to feel like there's trust and that there is psychological safety. And that's what I mean by that. When, when an employee feels like they don't have to leave their full self at home and they come in and put their game face on and pretend everything's okay. Um, we, we need more psychological and safe, safe environments because that's where people thrive. So what about, I'm a manager And I'm trying to create this psychological safe space. And I have people that are coming in and they're like crying at their desks or crying in front of clients or customers or like, what does that look like? Is that part of what you do as strategies on how to help those people who are showing up at work, not in the best? um, Wow. I just thought of the whole irony of mental health day. Um, Yeah. there might actually be some truth to needing that, but like, yeah. what would you suggest in that case? Cause, cause I could see some resistance being like, well, I'm paying them to get a job done and they're distracted and they're ex you know, I'm sounding like an ignorant yeah. person intentionally. Well, I know, I know, I know where you're, where you're going. And, and my answer to that is, you know, I think to expect us to, to, um, to expect an employee to not be able to be themselves is not fair, you know, and, and, and there's more that we can do than we think, right? Like, I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't know what to do with that. Right. Like, I don't know what to do with that. They're, they're, they're crying. And how about you just listen? How about you just pull them aside and you just be generous with your listening and your heart and you connect them to resources, would that have been so hard? We are so quick to be like, well, they're not performing. Well, if they're not performing, the widgets aren't getting made. And so well, we got to got to get them out because, you know, that's not good. That's so awful. I, I, I always advise my people leaders, the generosity of your listening could be 
the difference for someone could truly be the difference. They may not have anybody at home that they can talk to. They might be struggling. And if you just take a little bit of time and connect with them and listen to them and bridge them to resources that are available, it could be life altering. You could save a life by doing that. So I'm sorry. I feel like we all have to go back to our humanity and treat people like, you know, human beings and, and, and just be, just be, just be nice. Just care, you know? Thank you. That was a, that was a great answer. I I was intentionally trying to be a little difficult. (laughs) Yeah, no, but listen, I had a conversation with a guy. Sorry. I I don't mean to, to go for it. Yeah. I had a conversation with a guy. It still bothers me. And he, he believes that people with mental illness are not tough. He's like, well, I, I have never had to deal with mental illness. So I, I just, I am tougher than the most, than most people. And I just like had to stop myself and say to myself, this guy literally believes that it is a matter of being tough or weak, whether or not you have a mental health challenge. And I'm like, wow, like we still have people in our society that believe things like that. And, and, and that's, that's what we have to work to eradicate. Yeah, it's, I feel from, through my lens that things are improving from the conversation, but where I get a little screwed up is I can't tell if it's because I'm surrounding myself with different people or if the conversation's getting louder. So I struggle with, with trying to sort through that connection. It's probably a little bit of both, right? Because as we evolve as entrepreneurs, we start to look around and say, are these supporters or not? And if not, it's like, I got to move forward. And then with the pandemic, the conversation is being turned up. So probably a little both. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it is getting turned up because, you know, as someone, I went to my bosses, right? When I was, when I was there and I got too drunk at a thing and, um, I had to go, I had to, you know, I got a little in trouble, but I ended up telling them about the drinking, the gambling and all that stuff. And what I found out was it wasn't horrible. They ended up supporting me. Like senior vice presidents were like, cool. Like, thank you for sharing. We're on your side, you know, just watch what you're doing kind of thing. And, and I, I'd like to think that most companies have leadership like that, or they're not, they wouldn't be leadership, right? Like you can't get to that top level without having some sort of people skills. Right. Some like, and and I'm guessing there's a lot of outliers, um, but maybe because of upper management, like they're going to set the tone right on the middle, middle managers being able to do that. Um, but how did that make you feel though, Bobby? Like the fact that you got that level of support, like I would think that that made you feel pretty damn good about your company. Yes. Yes. And the, and one, like one of them knew me for 20 years and the other one only knew me for a couple. So it's very different ends of the spectrum, but it didn't feel like, um, I got in trouble thing. I didn't feel my job was in jeopardy. Uh, I felt, yeah, it, I, I didn't feel judged. Like I felt a lot of okay about it. And I was grateful for that because I'm really passionate about the fact we need to be transparent as part of our healing in recovery you, for gamblers, especially, right. If we're gambling, we're lying. Like we just are, we're lying about where we are, what we're doing. We're just lying. 
and it doesn't show, right? Like it doesn't physically show up, but so you're holding on to all this stuff. So if you don't come clean with the partner, the boss, the whatever, it's still there, which then increases your chance of relapse. In my opinion, I don't have credentials that could support that, but that's why it feels good. It's, it's, it's letting it go. So you don't have to sue on it, which I think either contributes again to the addiction or another form of mental health. Maybe it is the depression or, you know, those kinds of things. Am I on the right path thinking about this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Makes complete sense. Yep. Okay. What am I forgetting to ask you that (laughs) you want to share? You know, I think at the end of the day, I, I want people to recognize the prevalence of people struggling and not assume that everyone is okay because they appear to be okay on the surface, right? Like we live in a world of social media where, you know, comparison is the thief of joy when we start comparing ourselves to other people, but it's the ones that you need to worry about that appear to have it all together. Like don't underestimate the power of checking in with people that you care about. Even if you, even if they appear to be okay, just like, Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I think if we all just take on more of a kind, considerate, compassionate perspective on those around us, people we work with, people in our circle, um, it'll make a big difference for people. There's some reprogramming involved in that. I mean, there, there really is. There's a little bit of work. Um, and I don't know if it's my generation or I'm just a horrible person, but I'm finding myself having to practice like my brain goes to the worst. Like, for example, I'm at work. Somebody takes a longer than 15 minute break. The first thought is, you know, like, what the hell? Don't they know X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And I, the conversation that in my head is like, start expecting the best in people instead of the worst. Yes. But you have to be conscious about that if it's not who you are. Right. And I'm not saying I, I go around thinking everybody's horrible, but yeah. I definitely have the judgy component and the, yeah. um, why does my brain go to thinking the worst? Yeah. Cause our, uh, listen, our brains are wired to protect us, not to make us happy. You yeah. know, that's something I learned from Tony Robbins years ago that the mind is literally wired to protect us. So it's always seeking out, you know, fight or flight opportunities. It's not designed to make us happy. So we literally have to make an effort to, to almost re rewire those pathways to look for the good. I mean, and it takes an effort. So it's not by default. So it takes, so that's why, you know, even just practicing an attitude of gratitude, like what are three things I'm grateful for instead of, all this shit is wrong right now in my life. I got this issue. I got that issue. I, this is missing. This is broken. You know, instead of directing your focus over there, you really have to make a conscious effort to focus on, holy crap, this is good. This amazing thing happened this week. Oh my goodness. Like I'm excited for this. This is going great in my life. You have to make an effort for that because if the more you do that, the more you focus over there and less over there, it's going to help you look at those circumstances that you're mentioning with a little bit more of a half glasses, half full perspective. Yeah. Thank you for elaborating on that. Glad I'm not the only one. And I didn't think of it as the brain's job. I thought of it as, geez, I'm a horrible person. You brought up comparison early, right? 
like, oh, I'm comparing myself now. Like everybody else must be nicer than me. Yeah, no. Those kinds of things. Yeah. So give yourself uh, grace. That's one thing I do harp on in my resilience course is we got to start to give ourselves grace, right? We're so hypercritical of who we are, what, what mistakes we've made, things we've done, blah, blah, blah. Like give yourself some grace. Like we just navigated pandemic. If you're an entrepreneur and you're listening, this has not been easy and you hustle. So like give yourself grace that you're doing, you're doing the best you can every day and you keep going. So pat yourself on the back. Thank you. Yeah, I I agree. Everyone needs that. So where can people find you if they want to take your resilience class? I know we'll have all the, you know, the social piece and all that, but let's pretend somebody's driving down the road in their car or something and they can't really look. Well, follow me on LinkedIn. I put a lot of great content out on LinkedIn. I have a series on mental health that I do. I'm talking about bullying in the workplace this week. I have a three-part series and it, it goes live on LinkedIn. So Michelle E. Dickinson there. And then my um, live stream series on YouTube is Michelle's Conversations That Matter. I'm always talking about different types of mental health challenges, talking to experts, um, getting us educated on certain things that maybe we didn't know. Um, and storytelling, hearing people's personal journeys is really a helpful way for us to recognize that we're not alone. So I say LinkedIn is the best, best way to, to get a sense of who I am and what I, what I do. You must have celebrity status. I can't get YouTube to let me go live. So you must be fancy. It took a year, girl. Don't, don't get to, don't get down on yourself. It took at least a year. And then I just was persistent and it worked. Well, it's hard enough keeping up with all the other places to me. <laughs> There's social media out there that I don't even recognize the name to. I mean, it's just, yeah, absurd. But, well, I really appreciate you being on the show today and um, sharing your, your wisdom. I like the focus. Um, When we go off air, I'm actually going to try to connect you with someone that I think might be a good fit. Um, Someone who's trying to help management teach their employees uh, strategies, training, onboarding, things that are really important. Um, who's been on the show before. So I think that, I think there's some synergy there, but awesome. Bobby, the matchmaker, I guess. Yeah. And thank you for having me. And thank you for wanting to talk about this. Oh, of course. Of course. So many people are impacted, probably more impacted than not impacted, especially at this point. All right, Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. you